Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Cup Duet Reviews, brought to you by Cup of Hemlock Theater. I will be your host for this episode, co-artistic producer of Cup of Hemlock, Ryan Barakovich, and I am joined by a new guest today who we will introduce shortly. But before we do, I want to introduce the show that we are talking about because it's a very exciting one. It's called I Love You and It Hurts, and it was presented by Theater of the Beat, directed by Max Cameron Fearon. And it featured three short plays written by Cedric Martin, Lindsay Middleton, and Jessica Moss. Now, it ran in Toronto at Hart House Theatre for one night only on Wednesday, November 29th, 2023, as part of a cross-Canada tour. I believe that at the time that this review will be published, the scheduled tour dates will have sadly come to an end. But hopefully we can expect that it might pick up and possibly get additional steam for some additional tour dates in perhaps other cities in the coming year. So that's the show, and it's a very exciting piece of forum theatre, which is something that we have yet to review on this cup uh, in that particular genre, so I'm excited about that. And joining me to engage in this journey through forum theatre, I'm joined by a new guest here on the cup, a multi-talented, multi-hat-wearing theatre artist here in Toronto, up-and-coming, a name that you want to make sure you have on your radar now because they're going places, Ethan Persico. Hi, how are you doing today? Uh, hi, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me. It's a true uh, honor. Hi, everyone. Yeah, my name is Ethan Persico. Ethan Pronouns. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to dive into the show. Yeah, so we're so excited to have you. You have, I think, a lot of special insight that will help us unpack this pretty particularly nuanced piece that, like I said, is very different from a lot of the stuff we usually review here. But before we dive into it, I have to ask you our favorite icebreaker question. What is in your cup today? Yeah, so... I apologize. I've already drank in a lot of it, but it is my favorite Starbucks mango dragon fruit refresher, which as I ask for the lemonade version, I realize like more and more that there's less mango and dragon fruit and just more like artificial flavoring, which I would usually get it just because it sounds, you know, right. good for you. But it's my like favorite drink. I get it all the time at Starbucks and I started off the day with it and I'm almost at the end, but savoring it until the end. Perfect. I, I love <laughs> things that sound healthy and they're still pretty good, even if they're not quite what they're advertised. Green mango boost, <laughs> energizing. Yeah, all those buzzwords. <laughs> it sounds perfect. Very produce infused, or so they'll have you believe. Well, mine is not nearly as healthy sounding. I have just a cup of joe, but regular coffee, but it's in my cup of hemlock cup with our logo love on the it. Logo. So, yes, I'll, always happy to plug the merch that we do not sell, but have for some reason. <laughs> Long story. So I love you and it hurts by Theater of the Beat. This is a, a really interesting piece. We are going, even though the run is currently over, we do hope that there might be more of an afterlife in a future tour for this show. So we will put a spoiler shield up after a certain point. So this will be just the pre-spoiler section now to just kind of have general thoughts and appraisals, a little bit of a brief description. So Ethan, do you want to kick us off and explain what is I Love You and It Hurts? Yeah, first of all, when you said the title, I was like, is that a statement towards me or something? Like, I feel very attacked. Okay. Yeah, it, it's, I guess, um, it, on one hand, it's a compliment to that, oh, love, but on the other hand, oh, wait, why does it hurt? But that's perhaps what this show yeah. is interrogating. So please give us a little that's, brief description. Yeah, I think the name, the, the title to the three uh, plays kind of series is, is absolutely um, on par. Just overall, like I've known Theater of the Beat for um, a little bit. Uh, this is not only my first Theater of the Beat show, but also my first form theater show. Um, I am familiar with the the style of 
Theatre Hub to Plug, a mixed company here in Toronto for bringing me insight into it, as well as Tarragon Theatre for their director's lab for bringing that uh, awareness to me. But overall, I think they not only did the style of theatre just absolute justice, but I also really appreciate the nuances and uh, the specificity in specifically chatting with like a university audience. Obviously, I know that uh, many people outside of uh UFT, Heart House Theatre have come to the show, but I feel like it's the perfect kind of show for a group of undergrad, grad, just general students at UFT to really get their minds thinking. And I felt like the host, Cedric, did such a great job at um, moving it along and really painting each play for what it what it is. Yeah, well done all around. Yeah. Okay, so you're, you came right out of the great with, here's what's cool about it, here's my experience with this. Like, let's actually back it up a bit for those who are unfamiliar with the play. No, it, it's cool. Like, uh, so forum theater is interesting as a, a genre because I don't really think a lot of people are familiar with it. We've, while we haven't reviewed a forum theater performance on the cup before quite a while ago now, Lindsay Middleton, who was one of the writers of one of the pieces here, Mother, the second one that we'll talk about, she was working on another Theatre of the Beat show called Unmute during the pandemic, during which time our associate producer, Jillian Robinson, interviewed Lindsay to talk about that production. For those watching this on YouTube, maybe the link to that is showing up on the screen right now to be determined. If you want to learn more about Forum Theatre and Theatre of the Beat, you can go there. But a short version, it's a, a way of engaging with very socially conscious, socially active, social injustice infused theater that creates a bit of a scenario using theatrical performance and then allows, after the performance ends, they allow it to open up to the audience using the very Boal inspired term spect actors, not spectators, not actors, but spect actors. And we can unpack that a little more as we go. But allowing the audience to respond to what they saw, comment on the situation, share their thoughts, and ultimately create suggestions that either reshape the piece or even allowing them to step up on stage, inhabit one of the characters and try the scene on for themselves to see what would you do differently if you were in the situation and how can we turn a very tense situation as all three of these plays in this I Love You and It Hurts anthology present and try to diffuse some of that tension and make something that is a bit more manageable, a bit more socially constructive How's, how's this for a description? I know it is a bit of an unfamiliar territory for a lot of people. Do you think I, I've summed it up well? Anything you'd like to add? Oh, yeah, I, I think so. I think the way that I resonate with forum theater is it specifically tackles issues that are still pressing in society, issues that might spark controversy. Uh, I won't get into my own stuff, but it's quite interesting because a lot of my theater just engages with stuff that maybe we don't always talk about especially in the theater. And so I just really appreciate forum theater with the audience engagement for like being able to have this difficult discussion, but also include like actors in yes. the mix as well. Yeah. And this idea of a spec actor, I don't know, you're still doing your undergrad now. Has Augusto Boal ever come up in your education as? No. Okay. It's fine. It's, I did my undergrad at York University, you know, that school. And Boal was very big in the pedagogy there. There were quite a few professors who were like Boal specialists. So it came up a lot. But Augusto Boal is a, a South American. He worked in many different countries, but a South American theater artist. And I believe he actually held public office later in his life too who developed what is often referred to under the banner of Theatre of the Oppressed, inspired by Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed, 
And what it, it essentially is very similar to what we saw, but it's a, a variety of different forms, usually improvisational in nature, but really engaging with getting the spectators involved in, in the performance. And he was the one who coined this term spect actor that was used uh, in this performance that we just saw. And it's a great way of, there's a, a lot of great, you know, I could spout Boal quotes all day, but they're the best, I think, way to encapsulate what Boal was trying to achieve is a much more politically efficacious theater. One that, you know, we often talk about, ooh, theater changes minds, it changes the world, it can do all these things, but there is a lot of passivity that often involves in traditional spectatorship. And Boal wasn't interested in theater that just allow you to sit back, consume, and then forget about it the next day. He really wanted you to feel like you had control over it to reclaim agency. And the quote that I feel like sums up what he was trying to do the best is that theater itself is not a revolution. I'm paraphrasing lightly here, but it can be a rehearsal for a revolution. So that if you see a scene in this perhaps forum theater format where you get to actually stand up on stage and reconstruct it to the way that you would actually like to see it happen in the real world, it might motivate you to take similar action in your own real life practice outside of the theater. And because you've had this opportunity to rehearse it within the safe space of the theater, you might have more courage to approach your real life differently inspired by that theatrical action. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's I think this show has been a pretty good introduction to uh, Boal Forum Theater. I actually don't even recall if Forum Theater was a term that Boal himself used or if that's been something that's modified from his theories. But yeah, I think it's very good to see this kind of thing in practice. And a lot of my experience, because you mentioned you had never seen a, a Forum Theater show before like this, I had seen things never quite like this in a way, but I have engaged with Forum Theater usually at like academic conferences. I've had a few experiences where forum theater companies will present what they do in the setting of the conference. And I do know that often forum theater activities take place in things like perhaps corporate training to deal with high intensity situations, usually brought in by HR or possibly even medical training, similar to the standardized patient programs that are used to train doctors to have actors present a scenario that then allows people who are trying to learn how to deal with those scenarios a safe space to practice. But I think this experience was at least for me unique because they filled Heart House Theater, a 400 seat auditorium to just come experience forum theater as art, very socially conscious art that still allows you to break that barrier, but that it wasn't like a, you are engaging in this forum theater because you have something specific to learn for it. It's like, hey, this is a valid type of artistic expression. We can yeah. learn a lot from it for how to rehearse revolution, perhaps in this way. But it wasn't like no nobody from HR was forcing us to attend this. We, I don't know who HR is in this case. Cup of Hemlock doesn't have HR. U of T does, it, does, but that wouldn't make us do it. But yeah, it's. Uh, I thought it was very interesting to, to, you know, open it up to this is just one type of theater among any. And I think for a lot of people, it probably was their introduction to forum theater and what a great setting to do so. And any comment before we, we move a little further into the plays themselves? Yeah, I mean, one last comment, and it should have been my first comment, is just I really appreciate theater of the beat in general for just being like such a homey communal kind of group it was really nice um i don't think it's a spoiler in the sense that after the show was done we all met in the lobby and chit chatted and had a good time and that was like what really i don't know what's the word like 
met, bridged it all together and just made it like a really beautiful night. We were able to like talk with people and I got to speak with someone on the executive, you know, team that I've never met before. And I'm like, oh my God, like we only knew each other on Zoom. Like it was just great. It felt really homey and relaxed and warm. And I think it's just a, a, a testament to Theater of the Beat and what they represent. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a great way of kind of describing this forging of community is a big part of what I think this type of theater does so well, even prior to the show ending and us retreating into the lobby and continuing some conversations there. Just the fact that people in the audience are invited to speak and maybe will speak to each other or bounce off each other's ideas. There is a sense of we're in this together. There's a, again, I, it goes back to this rejecting passivity, but the fact that We so often say that theater is the one place where you're in a community with all these people, but so much of theater isn't really designed to sow the seeds of that community. We had a big episode of The Cup where we debated the merits or lack thereof of theater etiquette, as it's often called, in response to a lot of the recent controversies about that. And part of my argument in that episode was that I'm not a fan of policing the behavior of theater audiences because it usually... It creates situations that more than anything, aside from all the other ethical issues about it, but cuts us off from the community that we ostensibly go to theater to participate in. And I think there's a lot of potential for this genre of theater to really embrace why we're sharing this moment in time and space together that very few other types of theaters really lean into, even if that seems to be their stated goal on paper. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we've really just talked so far about the the structure of the performance itself. Before we go into spoilers, do you want to talk briefly about the three plays? Or should we, if you feel like you want to say spoilery things about those, we can just move ahead into to spoiler town right now? Well, I'm a good, like, I would love to go one by one. Yes, I, I would love cool, to do that. And, yeah, cool. <laughs> okay, so maybe, maybe we'll put the spoiler shield up about now. Once again, this was I Love You and It Hurts, presented by Theatre of the Beat, Forum Theatre Piece. It played at Hart House Theatre on Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. That's when we saw it. And perhaps you too saw it in one of the, either in that space or in one of the other towns across Canada that it performed at. And here's hoping, Theatre of the Beat, that you're able to bring the show back, because I think a lot of people really could benefit from seeing something like this. But also, best of luck with all of your future Forum Theatre Endeavors. I'm sure this is not the end for you. But with that, I think we're going to put some kind of spoiler image on the screen I've yet to brainstorm what I want that image to be. So whoever's seeing this on YouTube will have first crack at whatever that is. But everything we say from now on is spoiler. So if the show comes back and you don't want to have it spoiled, this is the time to to log off. Okay. Uh, Before we begin Get Going Show by Show, the idea of spoilers is kind of interesting for this one because of the improvisational nature of it that I think we do, we will talk about plot things that do happen in the shows, but as I think the forum theater genre makes clear that those plots are not finite, they are not the end of the story, and that they are constantly malleable, and that each performance will uh, reshape them in a different way. So even if we talk about specific things that happened in those reshapings, it will not be the experience of anybody who saw it in any other instantiation across its tour. But even so, I, there are things that I think we can talk plot-wise, so let's go Let's go play-by-play. Play. Do you want to... We should begin in order. So the first show was the called The Walkover, and it was written by our intrepid host and producer, Cedric Martin. So, yeah, do you want to... What do you want to say about this show? Do you want to kind of sum it up a little bit yeah. first? 
I could sum it up. I mean, I feel like you'd be better at summarizing if you want to go. I, I kind of, I'm like a little, oh, I like this moment, that moment, blah, blah, blah. But if you want a summary, I feel like I'll, you should do I'll it. I'll give very brief fun. summaries for each of the plays because, again, sure. they are subject to change. And I'll give them as we go. So we'll start with the walkover, yeah. talk about that, and then we'll move on to Mother. But sure. so the walkover is set in a hockey gym or hockey. I'm not a sports guy. So my summary of this one might not be very a locker room. A locker uh, room. The, yes, the locker yeah. room. And it's basically a parable about what is often called locker room talk. You could say it's, it interrogates ideas of toxic masculinity and how we engage in these spaces where we're supposed to be a team, we're having fun, but tensions run high. People have very different views of why they're there, what they should be doing together, how to perform a manhood through the act of engaging with the sport, both off and on the ice. And our main character, ostensibly, is a young man named Isaac, played by Gordon Harper. We also, we didn't mention this at the beginning, but there are four actors in all who recur and play a role in all three of these performances. So we will bring them up as is appropriate here. But Gordon Harper plays our somewhat de facto protagonist, Isaac, who's the goalie of the team. His father is the coach, played by DM LaFortune. Again, apologies if we're mispronouncing anybody's name here. That's blanket statement for everything. And the coach is in a bit of an awkward situation because Isaac's teammates are quite verbally abusive, we could say, and uh, seem to take these situations a little too far, get a, like, push each other around, aren't necessarily fostering a team environment, and it's very clear that their skewed views of masculinity is a big part of what creates the problems here, and the coach and Isaac find themselves in a bit of an awkward situation because there's an unclear boundary between their coach-player relationship and their father-son relationship. We could say more as we describe it, but I think that's probably good as just a blanket description there. So, um, yeah, just yeah, to start, the kind of first comment I, I made to people is I, I was a production coordinator on an all women's hockey league film. And while I understand that the female presenting actors were playing male presenting characters, I felt like the, a lot of the locker room vibes were so, I felt like I was back on that film. Mm-hmm. I really just, they captured it so essentially, which is wonderful. I mean, to start off, I think what's so, what's great in having an intimacy coordinator or director, I would say, is that there is someone there to uh, make sure that any form of physical touch is consented to by all the actors. And why I say this is because I thought the, oh, this is uncomfortable, don't touch me, like I bet all the boundaries were off, like in a kind of locker room setting. But we're so well done. It's almost quite alarming, but it was beautifully done. I really just have to appreciate Netta's improv the entire way through of this play and the rest of the plays. So a huge shout out there. And I just, think uh, a lot to, of it, yeah. just to chime in to just clarify Netta J. Rose, who played the roles of Ray Netta and J. assistant Rose, coach college. Barry. No, just to, yeah. because it's the first no. time we're naming any of them, let's just make sure we get the names out so people know who we're talking Absolutely. about. No, go on, please. Yeah. Yeah, I have to give uh, credit to Netta J. Rose's improv. I think it was just absolutely spot on. And altogether, they just really made the perfect scenario that then SPECT actors could jump into. I'll comment more about the SPECT actor portion later, but just a really clear and concise play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think of the three plays, 
This one felt the most straightforward, which I think is interesting. And yeah. certainly as a good introduction to the form, I think it suited the beginning of the show very well. It is very well written. Once again, Cedric Martin wrote this scene and he did an excellent job of being our somewhat MC figure throughout this performance and a bit of a, a very calm, understanding, patient facilitator as people are giving suggestions and really, and, and also brought some great humor to that role as well. So I want to make sure we give special shout outs to Cedric in that regard. Uh, but yeah, I think this play, it had like a bit of a, I guess what we could call after school special energy more so than the other two, I think. And I don't say that disparagingly, it's just it sets up no, the situation. No, no. The other two plays, as we'll get into, had a lot more complexity in the ways they told their story, yes. like over longer periods of time, sometimes having two time periods commingle at once. This one set up the situation, presented it well. And yeah, like it's so cool that you have this experience with uh, hockey teams in particular. So you have a better sense of this thing. My The extent of my experience comes from Letterkenny. And whenever I watch that, I do not understand what the hockey player characters are saying. So <laughs> this I felt was a lot more accessible for me than that. But it's great to know that your experience reveals that this feels very true to life uh, in how you've encountered hockey culture before. Uh, and ironically, mm -hmm. on an all-female team, did you feel that there's a lot of the masculinity issues that I think were being spotlighted here are similarly applicable in all female hockey spaces. Yeah, I think it was so spot on in the sense that a lot of the etiquette is transferable, no matter what the dynamic of a, a hockey team looks like. I think what's, it won't dive too deep, but with film, you know, things are quick and on the go and like pick this up. And I think regardless of the medium in this medium with theater, I think they still got that kind of like everything's happening so fast i will say in my opinion i felt like this one was just really fast i don't know if it's because of my like having not so much exposure to watching from theater but i felt like there was so much actions and the lines were said so fast that i almost couldn't like keep track of it i was like this and this it might just be myself the way that my brain works but i i felt like it was so spot on in how fast it went but the question is if you want to make theater accessible and not just necessarily like spot on and a representation of society. Do you shift the pacing just to accommodate the spect actors so that they can yell? Or maybe I should, if it's a spoiler to if they want to stop it or, you know, change it up or, you know, I, I do question like, is the purpose of form theater just to get it all out there and then recap it and then you change it? Or is it to paint a really clear picture so that way it's clear? I know what I want to talk about. And I want to stop. No, that, that's an interesting question, because I agree that if things do move too quickly, it could inhibit the spectator's ability to really unpack what they're seeing and understand, yeah. make sure they're following it correctly. I think as a counter argument to that, not to dispute anything you're saying, but I think there is value in creating a situation that is as true to life as possible, because yes. if you slow it down too much, it loses some of that realism that could come with it a cost of some of the nuance that is required for these situations to be sufficiently complicated that there actually aren't easy answers and that the spectators really do need to think through what would I do in this situation if it was flattened a little too much I'm not that I'm suggesting you're suggesting to flatten it but it could yeah. run the risk of flattening it to the point that it's a little too simple or the answers are too easy I, I think something that Cedric said at the top of each spectator segment that was very good is that we want to keep our suggestions within the realm of what is plausible or realistic yes. so to just say yes. hey bad person stop being bad that's not a very productive suggestion is really thinking through 
what are the actual practicable solutions to these problems and they're not always easy or apparent and i think yes while i do agree that perhaps there might be room for more accessibility in these pieces i would be remiss to suggest it if it will come at the cost of some of that realism that makes the nuance possible absolutely yeah i mean look i'm a i'm an audience member i i don't want to just sit in my chair and just yep. be like watching it like the script going by or whatnot i want to be moved and thinking of things and reacting. And so maybe it's a question for myself uh, of just like, if uh, the the fast paced nature is just, you know, something that I really need to be kind of thinking about and kind of lost in. And that's kind of a, a demonstration of, of the way that society is. I think what's excellent. And I also I don't know if this is a good segment to just chat about the workshop. Aspect oh, yes. Yeah, so Right, because so you, I sh we should have done that pre-spoiler, but here we are. Okay. So there was a workshop hosted by Theatre of the Beat the day before this performance, and you happened to attend it. So I I'd love to hear, yeah, what was that experience like? Let's dive us into that and relate it to what we were just yeah. talking about. Yeah, the reason that I bring it up is because, again, with the fast-paced nature, like, uh, it's so important to make sure that consent and boundaries are both, like, achieved amongst the actors and, and whoever's performing, but also to be demonstrating to the spec actors, the audience as well. Yeah, I had a really quite unique experience in that workshop. It was led by Lena Nariku, again, apologies uh, for pronunciation who played a Mitch in uh, The Walkover. And what was interesting is that I was the only one that ended up coming to the, the workshop. There was another person. Um, and so I was the only one that really another person um, who got exposed to another person that applied and yeah. then didn't show up. So you got um, a private workshop, what, basically. <laughs> I, yeah. And I truly like if, you know, more people came or however the, the cards fell. Like, I thought it was such a great workshop to have specifically for watching the show. Like, uh, I don't want to be so bogged down into knowing what the show's about before actually watching it and then commenting on the liveliness of it. But I did feel like Theater of the Beat really does prioritize its consideration and care for its actors. And so even having one of the actors like lead it, like it kind of goes to show that they've really taken this not only form theater technique, but also technique in relation to consent and boundaries and could, could teach it to fellow actors. It's not something I was ever exposed to in my undergraduate degree, will not be something I'm going to be exposed to. And so I thought it was really a breath of fresh air in the University of Toronto slash Hart House Theatre uh, community, uh, but also just a really great way to uh, trap or just simply give uh, potential audiences a taste of what they're about to see uh, the next day. Yeah, no, that, that's I think that's great. It's, you know, lucky you that you got to be the only one who had this private session. It's a shame that more people didn't show up, but what a unique experience. And did you disclose to them that you were going to be reviewing it when you attended that? Not that you needed to ethically, but it's, I'm just curious if they knew that their one participant was somebody yeah. who would have things to say after the fact. <laughs> I didn't just sort of, I felt like it, I only met them for the, like, I really wanted to immerse myself in the workshop. And I felt like if I was like, I'm watching you, you know, like, I didn't want to like have a sort of like, this is affecting anything. And definitely you could really immerse yourself in the show without this workshop. It just only 
adds to it. Funny thing is, I mentioned how I was uh, familiar with foreign theater, and Lena was like, oh, you could be like our plant in the audience in case we need one. I'm like, yeah, sure. But then I was thinking as I was going home, like, in reviewing it, in being an, yeah. an actor, it's a genuine question of mine. I don't know, Ryan, if you have thoughts on this, of like, if you are a trained actor, do you think that you should be the one going up as a spec actor and going up to re-change the, the scene? Or in my personal opinion, the fact that the majority of audiences, a lot of them are not like in drama school or act professional actors. They provide a realness and a true spontaneity to what they're saying and I as an actor and as a theater practitioner can be like can take that and be like this is what form theater is trying, trying to demonstrate that not like traditional actors of the elite class have to be doing this work it's quite the opposite it's uh, the everyday person that can um, uh, really flourish in this kind of environment wow yeah that's an interesting question it's one that occurred to me in a different way that I could get to in a second but mm -hmm. the sort of uh, respond to it the way you posed it. It's interesting because I feel like you're right. The forum theater does democratize the stage space in a way that brings like, I don't want to quite say the everyday people because I don't necessarily agree mm. with it. An elitist distinction, not saying that this is what you were doing, but an elitist distinction between like true actors and the everyday, the plebeians, like, uh, you know, if, uh, right. but I, I feel like, yeah, I, to me, I'm less concerned about actors going on because they're not you know and maybe if they're very skilled improv people and especially ones who are maybe immersed in improv comedy i would be trepidatious about wanting them to be the ones to step on because i would worry that there might be too much attempt to like come up with the clever or the funny thing as opposed to what does right. this scene require um, but an actor who has experience acting won't necessarily i think be better suited to respond to what the scene is providing unless they're trained in forum theater or other forms of improv perhaps but I, what's something that's funny, and we could talk more about this when we get to the third play, Be a Friend, but the participant spect actor who came on stage for that was amazing. I, and I'm not yeah. even talking as a performer, and as Cedric said in the introduction, we're not judging people's acting here, but the way that person, and uh, like even if we remember the names of specific people, I feel like it's not our place to single out individual spect actors. They where I think they got up on stage and made somewhat of a, a spectacle for themselves for our benefit in the community of this audience, but they didn't necessarily consent to being discussed by name in this review. So perhaps we'll keep them anonymized if we refer to oh, specific yeah. spectators throughout the production. The actors are a different story. They're agreeing to be uh, performers in this, but the spectator who went up in the third show, like I, she must be some kind of trained counselor or yeah. something like yeah. just, the, That's what the, I was thinking. Yeah, like we can talk more in detail when we get to that show, but just yeah. like the calmness, the patience, the incisiveness of the questions and the way she approached the very frustrated character she was dealing with that actually believably diffused the situation in a way that I certainly wouldn't have been able to achieve on there. So yeah, like it's hats off to some people. And on one hand, you know, to bring it back to your question, on one hand, that's the kind of person who I might be more cautious than an actor to be like, put them in that role because they bring special skills that make them a little better suited to respond to the situation than say an everyday person, because they're clearly not everyday in that regard. But on the flip side and why I think that third performance was so affecting is because I think it's amazing that we all got to see that person work, regardless of whether or not that is indeed their job or vocation. 
But just seeing somebody who was so skilled in approaching a situation like that, I think, made us all the better for it. That we could have, you know, very well seen a, a version of that scene where, you know, somebody who didn't really know how to handle it, didn't ask the right questions, it didn't go well. That's fine. It would have been a more sour note to end on for the performance. But, and it's fine to try and fail. I think these performances set up safe spaces to try and fail. But how powerful was it to see somebody really knowing what they're doing and approaching the conversation in just the most mature and thoughtful way possible that really does feel like we were witness to something like truly astounding as a performance, like the performance of that therapy we witnessed on stage was quite remarkable to behold. So yeah, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. I have a kind of part two to responding to your question, but if, if anything I said sparked thoughts for you, I'd love to hear them. Definitely it's uh, uh, sparked with that. Um, I do consider myself a multidisciplinary artist because I really do believe in uh, treating theater as an uh, institution, just like many others, and thus um, something like social work, which you would think is so far out of theater, is actually could be very quintessential to uh, keeping theater alive and, and thriving, in my opinion. Um, what was so interesting is I won't... Um, mentioned them in detail, but there was a person that I met uh, virtually who is uh, a student at UFT uh, pursuing a degree in social work, but also is an artist resilience um, specialist and specifically comes into theater shows in order to um, essentially provide a social work like or care like practice into the theater process, which is like a kind of a dream endeavor for myself and I do think that again like what was really great about this and why I and I can go into detail after of what it sparked in me but I think what allowed me to really just enjoy myself rather than trigger myself is just the amount of effort that was put into ensuring that what was presented was as fair and understanding and compassionate to everyone on the team as much as it was to the audience. And I'll say it again, like I think this is the perfect venue, like a Hart House Theater, um, for this um show. You know, I won't go into detail again about just my experiences at UFT and just being an undergraduate student post-pandemic or whatever you want to call blank pandemic. Um, but uh, I think it's really needed. I think it's a really, again, a, a breath of fresh air to be like, wow, like we are undergraduate students or students in general. We have thoughts. We truly are change makers. If the if UFT holds itself as one of the best in, uh, universities in the world, well, then kind of maybe let's like prove it in having like uh, a diverse group of audience who come from all different backgrounds and fields of expertise really voice their opinion on what are issues that span theater and non-theater related audience like it's universal content which is or maybe more canadian specific i can't really say universal as let's say international or transnational but universal in the sense that everyone who's coming to the show nine out of ten can relate to the content no matter who they are mm -hmm. very long-winded but i apologize no, no it's not this is a long-winded space don't worry about it yeah um, yeah yeah, no, I, I think you're saying you said something interesting in there about bringing social work into theater with this uh, colleague you've spoken to. I think, yeah, forum theater is interesting, partly because, well, 
elements of social work can and certainly should be brought into theater just across the board as an institutional framework. Like you've said, that there are ways to infuse more care for the artists and audiences and what have you that is involved or really anyone who's involved, even administrators, I think could benefit from all this and what have you. But I also think forum theater is so interesting because it's really making that integration of social work into theater explicit or using theater as a tool yes. for something akin to social work. And yeah, I think what a, what a great performance that we have here for demonstrating that type of thing. Uh, and and uh, you've mentioned this a few times, so I'll comment on this too, that it's, yeah, it was very, this audience was very interesting being at Hard House, which is for those listening who are right. not familiar, is independently operated, but does exist on U of T campus and is affiliated with University of Toronto. So um, it's, you know, it's a bit of a complicated relationship, the extent to which it is part of U of T or its theater season is very much uh, affiliated. It's not directly related to the Drama Center or the Center for Drama Theater Performance Studies where the theater education occurs, but there's a, a complicated institutional tangled web that even I don't know the specifics of, so cannot comment further. But what I think is, you brought up that the fact that this is, does take place on what is essentially a university setting, even if the audience isn't exclusively university students and uh, faculty and participants. I think, yeah, there was what we could call an interesting quality of thought among the spectators. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't want to, I feel like there is a way that could come across as condescending that, oh, well, you mean to say other non-university audiences, people who aren't getting fancy degrees wouldn't bring the same quality of thought. And we can't speak to that because we weren't present at another type right. of performance. And I would like to think that there is still plenty of that too. But there really was just, I was constantly gobsmacked at how every single comment was, you know, not all of them were equally insightful necessarily, but they all did bring a level of genuine you know, care, thought, uh, there's probably other better words to use for this too, but just the degree of specificity and nuance that everybody was bringing to how they approach these situations was quite heartening that we have, you know, people are willing to take these fictitious scenarios seriously because they recognize that the ramifications that these type of situations have in their real life counterparts and what we can learn from this theatrical experience for taking these types of real life situations seriously. So yeah, I, I think, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, You're welcome. An, another, sorry, because I, I mentioned that to your really interesting question about should actors be the ones to get up? Mm. I had a different version of that same question in my head is that, <laughs> uh, and it sort of spins off to what I asked about you disclosing that you were going to be reviewing this show in the workshop. Right. Because neither one of us actively participated or, or got up on stage or gave suggestions as spect actors. At one point, just, you know, to join in when they were asking for just what were some feelings that we got from these shows. I shouted out yeah. a feeling. I felt like that wasn't a big breach of reviewer uh, relationship or positionality towards the piece. But yeah. I knew going in that I wasn't going to get up on stage that and I Me wasn't going to. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. Did you decide that at the outset because you're reviewing it? Or is that something you would have decided right. because you... Okay, that's interesting. Because part of me also does wonder, like, what would have happened if one of us had? I don't know if that necessarily is a breach of ethics or... And, you know, we at here at Cup of Hemlock, we have a very particular conversational, casual style to reviewing. We aren't necessarily approaching it the same way as, like, consumer criticism or journalism and that has right. a different code of conduct. I just knew for myself, one, I'm not usually the biggest fan of partaking in audience participation, personally. Uh, I, I love shows with audience participation. I feel like I say that all the time, but I'm very happy right. to sit in the back and not participate myself. 
So it, it suited me well to take on this kind of air of journalistic integrity that I will not compromise what happens on stage with my own input. But I do wonder, like, if one of us had, we, you know, we have thoughts where you both, you know, like everyone else in that audience probably had things we wanted to respond to and make suggestions we could make there that are, by putting ourselves in this position as reviewers, are we cutting ourselves off from the community or the, at least the form of the theater in this way. And I, I know in your case, this is your first time reviewing a show here on Cup of Hemlock, and perhaps you wanted to make sure that you didn't accidentally cross any boundaries. We didn't have a this kind of conversation at the outset. But yeah, I, I don't know. In, in a different circumstance, if you were just seeing the show without reviewing, do you think you would have gotten up and participated? It's a very good question. I don't know. It, uh, I... Something that is on my mind, I know it's a very philosophical discussion, is just like, am I deserving or am I the appropriate person to be acting blank, directing blank, dramaturging blank? Just like in I, what I love about at least this opportunity with forum theater is that most of the people I can confidently say that got up did not necessarily have like this, like, super dramatic artistic background and we're coming into it with like ooh, i get an opportunity to perform on stage where if i'm gonna be completely honest i kind of took it that way i was like wow if there's an option for me to go up on stage at the one and only heart house theater you know i'm like i've performed on heart house theater which is so not true and i just felt like in that moment it's so important for me at least to just kind of take a step back and appreciate it for what it is. And I feel like where I'm coming from in my own answer to my own question is just like the kind of actor and director that I am, I just kind of want to, if I, for me, it's like very traditional of like, if I bought an audience ticket, I just kind of want to be in the audience. Maybe if they were like, you get a special discount if you go up on, like, obviously that's not it. I just, go back to this of like if i got a ticket to be an audience member level one i can just sit back and relax and i'm allowed to you don't have to go up on stage and go to that level two it's a choice not something that's forced and i felt like you know what i bought a ticket let me just experience the show versus change the show in what i want to see yeah I, I think that does make sense a lot, and I certainly wouldn't be I to disagree with your personal preference for that, especially since it maps onto my own preference pretty well also. I do think, uh, give yourself a little more credit. I get that imposter syndrome yeah. is uh, is a dirty bastard, but I think, you know, the I, I don't love the language of who am I to do this. I think, mm. you know, it's, you know, I, I get where it comes from. I certainly understand the anxieties that motivate that sort of cautionary discretion in these types of situations, but... As long as you wouldn't be approaching it from, I am an actor, this is my time to shine, you Correct. are just as worthy of sharing your input about the situation as I think any other spectator in that room. It just means putting on your spect actor hat as opposed to your spect yes. or your, your actor hat. They're making sure that it's yeah. because of your position within the audience as part of that community, more so than I am a performer and this is my time to shine, which I, I don't think is... Yeah. Yeah, the, the way that you would have approached it if you were to partake in that situation. But mm. yeah, I think, you know, you're allowed to give your input. And just because you have experience in theater doesn't mean that you're necessarily more equipped to diffuse these complicated, dramatic situations to anyone right. else. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we've, got, 
yeah. we've gotten a little far from the walkover. Did you have any last thoughts about that before we move on to Mother, the second show? Not at all. Just well done. Very straightforward, but not in the sense of like straightforward, not like very straightforward in the most positive way. Yeah, it was a perfect opening act to engage the audience in this format and which allowed the next shows to become a little more narratively complex because we are already familiar with the conventions. So I think the Mm -hmm. curation of this order was very well done. Okay, so the next show that we saw in this sequence of I Love You and It Hurts was called Mother and it was written by Lindsay Middleton. In terms of a short synopsis of this, it was essentially a situation about an elderly woman who was just referred to in the text as mother whose uh, adult daughter, I believe Erica, played by, yeah, mother was played by DM LaFortune and Erica was played by Netta J. Rose. Again, it's the same cast recurring through all three of these pieces. So her daughter's Erica is going through a divorce, has a, a teenage son named Liam, played by Gordon Harper again, who is about to go off to university. And she's uh, lost her job at Shopify, I believe it was. And so Erica's going through some, you know, financially precarious situations. And her father has recently passed away. And mother is in a situation where she has all of this money that has been inherited from the late father character. And Erica, in her situation, feels like she should have access to that money in advance, as opposed to waiting for her second parent to pass away and then inheriting it herself. And this creates a a very ethically dubious situation wherein, you know, the the key buzzwords for this scene are financial elder abuse, I think is the, the best way to put it, where Erica sets up a situation where she has access to a joint bank account with her mother and she can take as much from it as she pleases when she pleases. And I realize that this description makes it sound like, oh, Erica is just the worst. But I think, and hats off to Lindsay's playwriting, she did an excellent job of really humanizing this character, even when we do disagree with her. I think I want to be emphatic about that. We can understand where she's coming from, and she does make some valid points, even if they don't justify her actions. Yeah, how is that for a description? Anything you'd like to add on that regard, or just jump right into your appraisals? No, I have a very sensitive and kind of very loving uh, relationship with my grandparents. As you can see, I always start with like my own personal experiences because it really does hit home. And I thought that DM of Fortune's performance was so spot on. What I especially appreciated, I know this is kind of jumping to the kind of spec actor aspect, but just really great at just listening to what people have offered and just providing those uh, solutions. But what I really appreciate, and again, I don't know if this is a tradition with reform theater, but the fact that the host, who was Cedric Martin, the spec actors were done performing to then ask the, you know, actors who were in the original scenario how they felt, I really could see the transformation in both how DM was approaching the context, but also in just the scene itself. And I felt this play really like took us from an A to like a a total complete B and really just showed us like how to navigate uh, the scenarios. I thought the spectators did a great job at again moving us from A to B but I really again I felt like it came from the playwriting by Lindsay Middleton of just really providing each person with some stuff we want to root for and some stuff that needs to be changed and it really broke me near the end when Netta's character as Eric just kind of collapsed into Patty's 
uh, arms played by Lena Mary Poo again. Um, uh, like it's so heartbreaking because specifically with financial issues, those are some of the most heartbreaking because money drives whatever you want to fit to the end. I don't even want to say anything after, but you know what I mean? Like money is a big component to our society. And yeah, again, in addition to being like clear and concise, I also felt like there was an opportunity for true growth with these characters, which I really appreciated. Yeah, no, I, I think well said. That sums it up a lot of my feelings pretty well too. And you're very right to kind of put a fine point on the financial dimension of the story because it's not just that oh this daughter is mistreating her mother is that she's doing it out of her own neck economic necessity which really does complicate the story and as i said earlier makes her motives a little more understandable even if we don't condone them as an audience at least speaking for myself and perhaps you would you're allowed to agree or disagree in that regard but i think it's funny because when it was just opened up to just like kind of let's get some suggestions here one person probably half jokingly but not fully said like abolish capitalism as the suggestion and like i think and you know while that is perhaps probably true and would solve a lot of these characters problems it comes back to the thing that cedric said at the beginning of you know we're gonna try to have realistic solutions to these and as much as what i love about this what we witnessed here with this forum theater is that it's very micro social solutions to big complicated problems that you know and i I feel like there is a tendency for some people to possibly dismiss small scale action in this way that, well, you know, if we just solved the bigger problem, we wouldn't find ourselves in these situations and it's creating band-aid solutions to complex problems. And while I think that is true and it certainly shouldn't undermine any attempts to create bigger solutions, those bigger solutions are very hard to achieve and there's a lot of very powerful stakeholders who would like to prevent them from being achieved. So I think this, what we witnessed in the forum theater, as much as it'd be great to just say abolish capitalism, lead a revolution, and perhaps we wouldn't have, Erica wouldn't have to worry so much about her financial situation. Shopify! <laughs> yeah, overthrow Shopify. <laughs> but, yeah. but I think, yeah, while, while that is a good long-term goal that we shouldn't lose sight of this play yeah. and these plays in general present us with ways that we can enact change even while we're waiting or even not waiting because that sounds too passive but even while we're taking the the much larger steps that are needed to enact large change that they it isn't an either or situation which i think is demonstrated very well here yeah it's really great what you were um describing in terms of the micro as it kind of affects society because I, I, something I should have maybe mentioned in the beginning is uh, why I think form theater interests me is because I'm as much a drama major as I am an ethics, society, and law right. major. And thus, I have a really interesting stake in kind of looking at theater as a way to address ethical and legal dilemmas. And, but you brought me all the way back to my like first year sociology class, learning about I had to search like quickly if I was like, is this the right term? Symbolic interactionism, which I'm going to nerd out for like a hot second and really stop after. But essentially saying that at the micro level, the way we interact through symbols and vernacular and conversations and dialogue can have a uh, down top, top effect, like to the top of, of society. And if all of us are interacting in a kind of micro, but we're changing and dialogue is sparking, then that stretches to an entire pattern of many people and that then becomes the macro where we're all engaging in this really big dialogue i mean look at social media and and that's kind of one 
micro, macro uh, equilibrium, if you will. So I really uh, want to advocate for form theater in uh, the touring style and the theater of the beat, um, because the micro little effects we have on many communities then creates a macro discussion in the end. So you touched on something very sociological, which is wonderful. Great. And I've never taken a sociology course in my life. So thank you for bringing this. You know, that's a great term. I think, yeah, it's, and it's interesting because, yeah, like while I was approaching my sort of treatise on this idea from like, yes, we should still try to have large scale change, but we can do small scale change in the time being. I love what you've brought into this discussion that small scale change can enact large scale change if we just do enough of it or if enough people yeah. participate in it. And I think, yeah, this type of theater is perfect as a rehearsal for that revolution, but maybe it's not even exactly. just a rehearsal because if we're doing it in this space, it's already a first step towards doing it in reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything else about Mother you'd like to add or should we move on to the final show, Be a Friend? Honestly, it's more of a philosophical or life lesson. Just appreciate Mother and the, the kind of family dynamics and that uh, there's so much uh, going on um, in the world, but just having your mother, at least having, um, not everyone has um, a mother. And so uh, just appreciating that and kind of rolling through the tide uh, together as a mother-daughter or mother, a grandmother, grandson, you know, just staying connected. I thought this was a really beautiful message yeah. with uh, the play. Well, and it's funny because I know we just spoke a moment ago about how we both made a conscious decision to not participate too actively. If I were to have, because I had this thought watching it, but if I weren't to have put that embargo on myself, something that I might have mentioned, probably not as like the main get up on stage in an act it way, but at the end of each segment, Cedric asked, you know, what are some other opportunities that we didn't see, but you might have liked to see. One that occurred to me here is that the character of Liam, the grandson, is, you know, he was brought up in some of facilitation about what is the witness's role in this. And I, I felt like that was an interesting character because what I wonder what would have happened if somebody would be like, I'd like to try the scene from Liam's perspective because yeah. the character was written and this, this isn't anything against the playwriting, but was written a little one-dimensionally that he is just this kid, yeah. he's on a sports team. He's sort of a prop in the bigger conflict between Erica and mother, as this is somebody who's creating an additional financial burden on the situation by going to university and needing, you know, raising the stakes for why this money is needed. And, yeah. you know, I think the character was well-written and well-performed, but wasn't necessarily as integrated into the scenario here. So I do wonder if somebody were to have raised their hand and said, I want to do the scene from Liam's perspective, what power could this figure even have in the dynamic? Is their role as a witness enough to enact change in the situation? If you know, Liam was like, mom, I think you just need to leave <laughs> grandma alone and not take her money. Like, would that have had any material consequence on the situation? What is the role of the younger generation? Because we always talk about it's the younger generation who are going to inherit these problems. And in this yeah. case, literal financial inheritance of there will probably be none of the grandparents' money left by the time Liam is old enough to inherit a lot of it. But yeah, we talk about like, you know, Greta Thunberg and how it shouldn't be the role of the younger generation to solve the problems of the older, even though they certainly will be the ones who have to approach it. So I don't know. I was curious about this character. I don't know if you have any anything you'd want to add, but that was my that was what I would have proposed if we were to enact it a little further. I think that's just um, a great point. I think it's just uh, a question of how 
humans look at solving problems is I, for example, like as a director, I'll just say like, I kind of work best one-on-one, but I do really encourage feedback. So I think it's just a matter of when we're trying to solve problems is the individual, do they prefer a kind of more therapeutic one-on-one kind of approach, or do they prefer a more intergenerational approach doing many research myself on intergenerational uh, therapy and healing I think all the more to the young stepping up and being in those change maker positions. Uh Totally agree. Yeah, well said. Okay, let's take it home with the the third and final show, Be a Friend, written by Jessica Moth. Okay, you're excited to talk about this one. So do you you want to take a stab at your brief synopsis? It's okay, however you want to approach it. Sure, my mind's in a slush, but I'm going to really try. Be a friend. A university, college setting, I'd like to say, there was one person who... Ryan, I feel that. I'm going to try, but Ryan, you like tap me out. There was Lena's character, Rowan, and Netta's character, Sky. They're kind of both friends, really good friends. But what's happening is there clearly is some tension in the friendship that is what I would like to say, like already kind of been there, but has been catapulted even more by the dynamic that uh, Rowan has with her boyfriend, um, Lennox, who's played by Gordon. And seeing the way that a friend is pushed, a friendship is lost due to the severing of a uh, abusive relationship with um, a partner very much touches on the theme or topic of intimate partner violence um, is so powerful um, and kind of a summary slash comment is that there's the character of Jody played by Dean LaFortune who's just kind of like left in the weeds and not really there and I'd love to talk about Ryan specifically whether it was intentional to have that character be older because I in the drama center in other institutions the mature student the one that's kind of a bit of an outcast was very much felt at least in me but I also felt like I would have loved to see more of a storyline to that character because, again, how we deal with intimate partner violence, if it's something for the friend to friend, very close best friend to solve together, or if it's something that um, an outside body can have a perspective on, I think that discussion uh, from this kind of uh, plot is, is something interesting i'm not good at this I'm no sorry, no, right? you, no you are i think that's really good i think yeah what you're bringing up a good point about what role that fourth body on stage plays in this and and the i think probably deliberate decision to cast the the most elder actor of the troupe to inhabit that role who gets sidelined in yeah. that way and especially after you know dm just had a star making turn and mother a moment ago who played the yes. coach excellently in the previous scene so it's okay if dm wants to have a bit of a break in this third one a little bit you but, mean the, the mother not the coach uh, yeah as the as the mother and the coach right and mother and the coach yes yeah okay sorry did i misspeak here no no yeah so i think yeah this it's interesting because i feel similarly to that character jody as mm. how i feel about liam in the previous one that i just discussed because yes. it's someone who, yes, they're present, but if an audience spectator wanted to play the scene from their perspective, how much power would this figure have in actually shaping the events? Because Rowan, as our sort of main character in this scene, is not, is, 
in a very vulnerable state for obvious reasons of what's happening to her in the scene. And I think it kind of needs to come from a one-on-one interaction with a close friend like Sky to possibly think through these problems. So I think it's reasonable in both the scripted version of the scene and in the reworking that we saw uh, performed that in both situations, it kind of works best if Jody, can you give us a moment to just talk one-on-one? Yes. And Jody respectfully gives that space so that uh, Sky and Rowan can have a heart-to-heart in this way. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I wonder if somebody like the spectator who we did see take on the role of Sky in the scene, if that same person had taken on Jody, would they have been able to bring that same social worker energy to the scene right. or would Rowan have had more walls up and not been able to because you're not my best friend who I'm able to have this vulnerable conversation with so I yeah I think it, it's interesting a lot of because we are dealing with the same four-person cast for all three of these plays I think there was probably a writing constraint placed on all three playwrights that you have to use at least four bodies for this and I, I think characters like Liam and Mother and Jody in Be a Friend maybe bring to bear that these scenes didn't necessarily need all four of them, but still trying to find meaningful ways of integrating them doesn't necessarily service the forum theater as much as it is just finding a place for everybody in these scenes. Uh, but, it, but it does raise interesting questions about what, since we will include these characters or have included these characters, what energy do they bring to it? Yeah, before I like get more into the discussion, like kind of of the the themes, I really need to say like this was my favorite. Mm-hmm. If I'm allowed to have favorites, I'm just yeah, this was like not only my favorite, but just one of like just very mind blowing in terms of like it was a really a whole production. Something to note, I think the more we went along with the different plays, the more involved spatially set design lighting design and this one oh my goodness i will have to say like i'm such a jessica moss fan in the sense that i watched one of her plays two years ago i believe at alumni theater and my goodness the use of altering time was so beautifully done is that truly is like what happens in these kind of scenarios when someone's talking then you're pulled away by either another person or the thoughts of another person. There's one really specific scene when I at least interpret it as Gordon's character, Lennox, was not actually there, Mm -hmm. but was the kind of boyfriend lingering thoughts, but manifested into a physical body, kind of pushing Rowan's character back and kind of abusing his power, I thought was so beautifully executed. And it's leaving me like, was this kind of written in as kind of like, two things are happening at once or three things or was it and i wouldn't uh, oh no I, I wouldn't put it past the director to have worked it in this way i think altogether the direction and playwriting was so beautifully well done and i just need to say that because i think like this is like quintessential yeah. like good theater and using the theatrical elements to the best of the abilities well yeah and i think that's interesting because i agree this is like a, a stunningly well-written play like just e- even divorced yeah. from the theater that's or the forum theater yes. format like I, this is and I, I think you could say the same about all of them they were all well written in their own right but certainly like the first one yeah the walkover very much that felt like it was a play written for forum theater and 
which makes sense that Cedric, as the initiator of this project, would probably write the thing that most suits the form so perfectly. And the others, I think, maybe got a little too creative with it, which made for some excellent playwriting, but maybe created a few more not insurmountable hurdles, but hurdles to integrating the form theater into that amazing playwriting. Because, yes. uh, well, and, I, and Cedric even alluded to something like this when seeking participants for this third play, Be a Friend, that like, of course, there's like things going on, multiple time periods, possibly memories, that we're just gonna zero in on this more intimate encounter between the friends, don't worry about the other stuff that's happening. And well, I think, yeah, it's great that we got to see that stuff. It, it sort of created more of a, a challenge to how do we insert ourselves into this, knowing that we've, you know, what's the part we can actually engage with. And I think a good decision was made that Lennox isn't the character that we maybe need to have the conversation with, that it's more important to integrate the participation into the conversation between Rowan and Skye. That is, as per the title, be a friend. It is being a good friend to somebody who, in your life who you recognize is going through these problems is maybe the best place to start in breaking down some of these barriers. And then a lot of great suggestions were made about how the next step could then be taken to making sure Lennox gets the help that he needs for his suicidal ideation, which was very much a, a concern that once again, it justified why he is feeling that way, even if it doesn't justify his actions or makes his actions still reprehensible, but we could understand that he's not a one-dimensional villain in any way. Yeah, um, I won't get into too much detail other than that this specific um, pivot um, into talking about um, mental health, uh, suicide is very much close to home uh, to me, but it was really the spec actors redirection and kind of adaptations and alterations to the scene that were like really just like so emotionally captivating and so true. Like it was so true. I kept nodding my head. I'm like, this is real life um, on stage. I don't know where I, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, section that off to completely segue into something completely different of, I thought. With that, though, my goodness, the emotional, like, highs and lows of the character of Lennox, specifically performed by Gordon Harper. I think Gordon Harper is such a multifaceted, multi-talented artist. And also, I would like to say, I don't know if I'm correct, I know of them indirectly, but quite an up-and-coming, emerging creator and someone to truly watch out for. And I think someone who gives the forum theater scene the due diligence that deserves. But if you also take him out and put him in like Shakespeare or Cheka or like any kind of play, uh, my goodness, would also blow you away as well. So they did appreciate that. Like what was unfortunate is because it's form theater, yes, you don't want to make it so theatrical, but you know, if you take Jessica Moss and Gordon Harper and you throw them into like a completely different environment, they'd also flourish really well. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so here, here to all of that. I've seen Gordon act before in other contexts and yes, an excellent Great. performer. And, and But I can't say I'd ever seen him improvise before. And I think this really gave us a lot of opportunities to mm. see that he, he thinks on his feet very well. He has good ideas, yes. especially going back to the walkover, the first play when one of the spec actors who made a suggestion didn't want to go on stage and just left it to the performers to reinterpret the scene. There was still a lot of like new ideas brought into it by, by Gordon himself. He understood his character very well and was able to come up with plausible ways that he could riff off of the redirection given by the spec actor who didn't want to get on stage and overtake his body in that way. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so any last thoughts you have either about Be a Friend specifically or any of the other, or just the, the any of the other shows or the event in its entirety? Yeah, I really want to comment on the event in the entirety. I know you maybe have seen me flipping through pages or whatnot in the background. It's only because, like, am I able to show it on screen? Like, the, it's the different kind of resources that they provided yeah. at the yeah. end. Like, just so much, like, resources and content that I have not had the chance to read, but will definitely read. But simply to further their care and demonstration of these issues, uh, really providing resource guides to active bystander, elder abuse facts and resources, youth relationships, Ontario crisis lines, healthy masculinity, and just kind of describing how to recognize that these behaviors are happening and what to do about it. In a uh, law class of mine, one of my professors said, a lot of us just like to talk about problems and don't really have solutions. And so what's great here is that there are so many solutions to uh, prevent this um, from popping. And then a final thing um, with having uh, staff from the Grinstein Center come, I thought was just so beautiful. As someone who's really on it in, in considering mental health and kind of accessibility, I felt like I could really just sit back and really just be an audience member and let the, you know, considerations for mental health be taken care of by the, you know, workers with Grinstein and also Cedric and everyone on the team. I just felt like we want to talk about difficult things. We have all, we have a, a good amount of the resources in place. Okay, good. I can breathe and I can actually engage yeah. with this material. Yeah, no, well, well said. I think this was such a well thought out event, not just as a piece of theater, but as just a social gathering in this way that we are going to engage with these very genuinely upsetting situations, things that can be legitimately triggering for a lot of people, but just know that while it is, I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, it is maybe dangerous to promise safe spaces. I think this is probably as close as you can get to really establishing something that we can safely call, if not fully safe in every way, because you can't always anticipate what issues people will have and how things are set up. It is checked as many boxes as possible to providing that, you know, that safety net or infrastructure that will help people. Uh, work through their thoughts either within the the community of the auditorium or with the the social workers who were available on hand as needed as you said and providing the resources for people to take their thoughts further and I, I imagine a lot of people will continue discussing this play and really kind of continue thinking through what ideas or types of action were inspired by witnessing not just the plays themselves but the ability to change them I think one last thing I maybe want to add is that in, and this is just a kind of interesting aesthetic note is that in playwriting, we're always told to find the drama that we want to create tension filled situations where bad things happen and characters mm. are challenged and all three of our playwrights did a great job of doing that. And yet the best part about this show is seeing that tension be diffused that by having situations and especially that third one I'll shout out again in Be a Friend where we had just a very, very skilled interlocutor come on stage and diffuse the situation entirely. Mm. Really, it was inspiring to see the drama not happen after we had just seen it happen. Yes. It was so much more exciting to see a version of this play where the drama does not come to pass than, you know, what we're maybe always told about how we need these plays to have drama because that's what makes them exciting and that's what gets us thinking. 
Now, I don't know if it would have had the same cathartic reaction if we hadn't seen the bad version of it prior of the situation that was being dramatized, but it, it really is something to see the potential of a happy situation playing out. And not always, like, happy is probably the wrong word for it, but not always, you know, to achieve the best possible results, but realizing that things don't have to be bad, things can get better. And isn't it remarkable that we can use theater and drama genres that are usually associated with the generation of conflict as a, a way of extinguishing conflict? Isn't that nice? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was writing about that the other day of just like, the reason why we like the classic plays and notable plays are the plays, if you really break it down, is because they talk about issues and that just kind of conform to that humans are in constant conflict with another and us audience members are kind of hypocritical and that we want we like seeing people fighting on stage and you know getting hurt and then getting back up but you know maybe we like the hurt even more than just the getting back up because it really pulls on our heartstrings it's just something for like society to just reflect back on themselves of like well, if you like seeing all this hurt, well, then maybe that's something in our community that needs to be changed. And we don't want this hurt happening. And we could actually, you know, stage joyful moments and happy moments. I was mentioning how there was one play that I won't name that just kind of dealt about oppressive states. And then there was another play, Kamloopa by King Sancliffe Harvey, that was told, that was phrased to me as indigenous joy. And I really appreciate that because we see so much oppressive kind of pieces that relate to indigenous sovereignty. But to have a play that's about joy, I need more joyful plays where attention is about people actually wanting joy in their life, not having to just deal with conflict and conflict and conflict and conflict. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. Couldn't agree more. Okay. Well, I think that is probably more than enough. We could probably talk about this show or these shows forever, but uh, I think in the spirit of forum theater, it is worth creating an ending so we can go on and continue thinking, even if the, the forum to get those thoughts on stage must end eventually. Um, so this, once again, we were talking about I Love You and It Hurts, presented by Theater of the Beat. It played at Heart House Theater on Wednesday, November 29th, 2023, as part of its Cross Canada tour. I do genuinely hope that some version of this show comes back or continues to tour, but even if it doesn't, keep your eyes peeled for Theater of the Beat, and I'm sure they'll always have exciting, new, and engaging works like this on the horizon. So, Ethan, before we sign off, you are a new guest on the cup, and as always, we like to end by allowing our guests and participants to plug their socials if they would like people to follow them. If they don't, that's entirely all right, too. And if you have any other future projects on the horizon, by all means, you can plug those as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, like, you know, viewers, audience, like, come, you know, in, engage with me, talk with me. I'm always wanting to meet new people and just my everyday life. My Instagram, that's where you can reach me best, is Ethan underscore Joshua with two A's because I'm so unique. My Facebook is Ethan Joshua, just that. And that's pretty much it for socials, upcoming projects. I have one kind of big one that I received a micro grant for my first ever grant. So exciting. It is an extension of a play adaptation that Ryan, I was so in incredible to have in the audience. The Chorus Girl, originally by Anton Chekhov, adapted by moi and now being turned into a dance film. So I'm really excited to get my choreography on and yeah, look at theater through the lens of film.
and dance through as a film. So it'll be very exciting when that comes out. So looking forward yep. to, to seeing the final product of that. Okay. It'll come out in February. February. Okay. So a February. Little, March. little while's away, but we're, we're looking forward yeah. to seeing it when it eventually does. Yeah. Okay. And as always, no need to follow me personally. It's fine. I'm not very active on social media, but if you like what we do here at Cup of Hemlock, most of my theater thoughts live here. We are at COH Theater on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, not calling it the other thing. We are Cup of Hemlock Theater on YouTube. We are the Cup of Hemlock Theater podcast on all the podcast places. You're engaging with this on one of those right now. Like, share, and subscribe. Do all that stuff. All right, everybody, this has been a lovely conversation. Once again, Ethan, thank you for joining me for this very nourishing conversation. And until next time, folks, we will see you then. Cheers.